Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Hey, Granary Church. So good to be with you today, even if it's only on screen. Uh, My name is Dave Grunenboom and I'm Director of Church Partnerships with International Justice Mission here in Sydney. IJM is a community of lawyers, investigators, social workers and activists, and we're powerfully motivated by a Christian faith in Jesus to bring an end to slavery and violence against those who are poor. I've been pastoring for 35 years or so, and I've been with IJM now for the last three and a half years working in church partnerships because I want to see the church become a change maker in ending slavery and embodying uh, God's call to be a people of justice and righteousness. Which uh, brings me really to the story of Pacheyamo and Arul. Now, uh, Arul was just a kid when he ended up in the rock quarry. His father had taken a small loan and unknowingly committed his family to generational bonded labour. So days for a rule were spent on the end of a sledgehammer, breaking rocks, breaking it down into gravel, hauling loads, injuries were common, and any attempt to escape was met with violence. In the quarry, a rule met Pachayamal. In that quarry, they fell in love. In that quarry, they married and were together, enslaved in a constant state of fear, violence and hopelessness. And they believed they would never be free. Now, Arul and Pachyal are just two of over 40 million people in modern slavery today. Over 60% of that number are enslaved in the Asia-Pacific region. And because they're poor, they are an easy target. They're defenceless, voiceless, and helpless. The blunt question we face as as Australian Christians is, what does the Christian faith have to say to a rule on Pachyamal? Now, God's word is very clear. It has always been the job of the people of God to take up the cause of the needy, the poor, the widows, and the fatherless. And Tim Keller, when he looks at this um, broad sweep of scriptural teaching, he notes this, and I quote, a lack of justice is a sign that the worshippers' hearts are not right with God at all, that their prayers and all their religious observance are just filled with self and pride. The confronting reality is that somehow seeking justice for the needy, for the poor, for the widow, for the fatherless, has ended up in the church's blind spot. Now, how did that happen? Well, there are lots of reasons maybe, but one of the biggest ones might be that we don't read the Bible as one book. We take a bit here and a bit there and we lose the overall storyline. We certainly lose the overall storyline of biblical justice. So today, what I want to do is take you through that storyline and take you through those major pieces of scriptural revelation. And obviously, we want to start with creation. We know that in creation, everything was very good. 
Creation is the perfect example of what righteous means. Uh, Things are just how they should be. Things conform to God's standard. They give delight to his heart because everything is perfect. Uh, And justice, uh, what's needed to repair that which is broken, um, was not required before the fall because in creation it was all very good. Now, moving on, we know that in creation it was all very good, but it wasn't long before it got really bad. When the serpent vandalised God's creation, injustice entered our world. And Satan used his power and ability to take the liberty, the life, the love and the fruitfulness from our first parents and ultimately from all humanity. Since that day, every human being replicates that kind of injustice. We all in some way use our power and ability to take life and liberty and love and fruitfulness from others. Now, in the Bible story, this fallen nature leads to murder, it leads to chaos, it leads to rebellion. Just think of the major players like Cain and Abel or the flood or the Tower of Babel. Eden has become paradise lost. Unrighteousness and injustice meet us at every turn. But even in in that time, as Adam and Eve hid in the garden, God promises one day to make things right, to bring justice for sin and to restore his world to righteousness. God's promise is expressed as he calls people to himself, as he calls Israel as his covenant people. The task of Israel was to show his character, his image to the nations. It was to reveal him to the world around them. And we see this in Exodus chapter 19. We read there, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And so Exodus 19 obviously leads us into Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are given to show us how God wants us to love him and to love others. The Ten Commandments show how to live in righteousness, that is, to live the way life should be lived before God. Uh, They show us how to do justice, that is, how to repair what is broken. And as you read on in Exodus, one very specific way the people in Israel would show this was how they would treat the needy, the poor, the widows, and the fatherless. In Exodus 22, we read this. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. And so as Israel grew as a nation, they asked for a king. They asked for rulers. And God gave these rulers the responsibility to uphold justice and model the Lord's character and protect the vulnerable. Listen to how the role of the king 
is described in Psalm 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he, may this king defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Now, that sounds like a wonderful job description for the king of Israel. But as we read the history, we know that it turned out very different. We see Israel's kings acting unjustly. We see them regularly, except for a couple of rare exceptions, using their power to take the life, the liberty, the love and the fruitfulness of their people. They're pictures of injustice, many of these rules. We've got Saul, we've got Ahab, even David with Bathsheba and Uriah, Solomon abusing his power. So God sent prophets to call these rulers and Israel back to their core task, to reflect his image, to call them back to ensure justice and righteousness were done in Israel. And again, if you've read the Old Testament, you'll know that Israel and Judah refused to do this. And when they did that, God's rebuke through the prophets became incendiary. Think of what we read in Amos chapter 5, where God says to his people, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away, away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. With those harsh words in mind and with the whole history of Israel behind us, it's no surprise to find that the last ever words in the Old Testament are ones of curse and utter devastation. Now, what does surprise us is that God stays true to his promise to restore justice and righteousness. And he does this, we know, through the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus' first public words tap right into that prophetic longing for justice and righteousness. In Luke chapter 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And as Jesus' ministry goes on and it climaxes at Calvary, we, read, we understand that his cross is not only an answer to our personal sin or the consummate act of atonement, the cross pays for every injustice done by human beings. 
Jesus' cross deals with that core issue of injustice, the sin of the human heart. His death conquers the rule of sin in the hearts of all those who call on his name. And likewise, Jesus' resurrection is not only a a proclamation, an amazing miracle of life and life eternal. It's not only a proclamation that the sacrifice of the one and only Son had conquered all evil. It's the beginning of new life for us, for all who who bow the knee to Jesus. Now, the thing we need to realise today is that all of this is just a nice idea unless it makes a difference to people like us, unless it makes a concrete change in our lives. Well, guess what? This is exactly what God is doing through Jesus as he rules his people and as he gives his leadership over the church. In Ephesians 4, we read that in Christ, we are being recreated in true righteousness and holiness. We're recreated to reflect his kingdom and his grace and his goodness into our world. And if that wasn't enough to excite us and amaze us, we have what I believe to be one of the most astounding statements of renewal and transformation in human history. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. And the new is here. Now, Granary Church, this is an amazing statement. It's like despite all of our failing, God keeps showering us, flooding us, overwhelming us with love and grace and forgiveness and a new beginning. We see that in Israel all through the scriptures. God's been following us with his grace. Now, I don't know what brought you here today. But one thing I do know is that because of this, no one is beyond hope. No one here today is too far from God's love. No one is a lost cause. Isn't that that something to celebrate? You see, God keeps working in the church. God keeps working through Jesus. And the church receives the calling of the new Israel um, as Peter writes his letter to the churches. He echoes almost word for word that key passage in Exodus 19. He says, 1 Peter 2, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, friends, this this is extraordinary. See, our mission is not only to tell the good news. Our mission is to be the good news. It's also to embody the image, the character, the kingdom, the rule of Jesus in our lives as individuals and as a community. Now, that means doing justice. That means putting things right when they're broken, putting everything around us that is broken putting that right. That's what justice is. It means living in righteousness. It means showing the life the way it should be in a way that honours God. And the best thing is that we're not alone. 
We're not alone. God hasn't left us to do this in our own strength. Jesus is living in us. He's doing his work through us. It's, it's incredible that, that God's grace and power is, is being made manifest in this way. And that's what happened with Pachiyama and Arul. IJM investigated what was happening in that quarry. And in time, we mounted an operation and we rescued Pachiyama and Arul and 10 other families, 30 people in all. We placed them in trauma-informed aftercare. We saw to their medical needs. We secured their release certificates that guaranteed they'd never be held by that debt again. And since their rescue, and you've, you've seen the clip about this, Pachiyamal and Arul have become leaders in the IJM-established released Bonded Labourers Association, and they are now leading rescue operations. They've helped free hundreds of people from bonded labour. Pachiamal is also a founding member of the Global Survivor Network Leadership Council, another IJM initiative where survivor leaders pursue safe communities and restore justice systems to protect the vulnerable. Again, you've seen that clip. You see, this is an amazing illustration of justice and righteousness, rebuilding what is broken so that it reflects God's character and his kingdom. This is the amazing work of IJM because we not only take people out of those situations, we're basically changing the system that allows these situations of violence and slavery to continue. We want to break that down completely. We want to finish it. We want to end it. That's our calling as the people of God. That's our calling, Granary Church. That's our mission until Jesus returns to make everything right, bringing new creation in all its fullness. Don't we love that passage in Revelation 21 where we're encouraged to believe he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's what I love about being a follower of Jesus. We get to carry this amazing hope into our world. Now, remember how we defined injustice. We said it was using our power and ability to take the life, the liberty, the love and the faithfulness of others. As Jesus lives in us and empowers us to seek justice, we start to do the very opposite. We start to use our power and ability to give life, to give liberty, to give love and fruitfulness to others, to put right that which is wrong to restore God's good creation, to rebuild what is broken and to use our power and our ability so that others can thrive. Now, one of the best ways that we can do that is to support IJM by becoming a freedom partner. Uh, if you're going to do that today, you can just follow the QR code on the screen because by becoming an IJM freedom partner, you'll become part of the rescue team. You'll be praying regularly. Freedom Partners receive a brief weekly email update of what God is doing 
through IJM all around the world. It's incredibly encouraging and it really fuels our prayer life. Secondly, you'll be giving monthly. Your monthly gift of $31 or more is the most concrete thing you can do to rescue people from slavery. You see, every gift, every freedom partner allows us to stand up as the people of God against the powerful of the world who prey on the vulnerable and say, no more, no more. This can't happen anymore. And if you're already a freedom partner, and um, many of you are at Granary, that's that's awesome. We, we praise God for that. If, if you're already a freedom partner, we'd love for you to make a once-off gift to our mission. It's the most concrete way you can say thanks to Jesus for the restoration, for the hope, for the grace, for the forgiveness, for the life that he's worked. It's the best way as a church for you all to say, we're on board, God. We're on board with your call to be people of justice and righteousness. We hear your call all through the word and we're thrilled, we're thrilled that through Jesus you are working in us right now, even today. And as Granary Church, we place ourselves in your hands and we say, as the people of God, be honoured in all we say, in all we do, in every value of our lives. Lord Jesus, let your justice and your righteousness be seen and proclaimed and tasted and celebrated. And keep doing this, Lord Jesus, until you come again and until all are free. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you and what is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.